0: welcome to Jewish insights a bible study we are studying the parsha of vayikhi this is the final section of the book of shemois the final section of the book of shemois and we are um, we are ready to conclude this book with quite an interesting conversation and today's conversation is based around the notion of superstitions and omens in Jewish um, in Jewish theory and lessons that we can learn from the days of the week that a person may be born on. And finally, what personal lesson any person can take from all of this moving forward. Let's get straight involved. So have you ever and do you have any recollection, perhaps, of like a, 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 your mother or your grandmother saying poo-poo-poo or something like that? Or can I in horror? Can I in horror? Can yeah, I are,
1: Yes. Can I, I You've
0: heard that, right? Can That's what they. That's what they say, right? Some people, um, Some. there's all these different kinds of things. And what are they for? All to ward off, to send away the evil eye. Um, it turns out uh, if you've ever hung out with, with Persians specifically, if you go to a Persian celebration, at the moment, the highest points or during the celebrations, they, they shout out this kind of shriek and they lo 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 That's it's something if you've ever seen that, you know it. Um, it's, it's again just a notion of trying to get rid of the evil eye. And so, if if you're um, if you're wondering, well, is the evil eye even something Jewish? Do we do we take into consideration this evil eye business? So let's continue. Let's begin with this with this real investigation. Now, what's an early point of the of um of perhaps. Um, messages or omens, signs that we can discover in Jewish thought. So section A, source 1, the virtue of Thursday. right? Source 1 is from the tractate Shabbos, Gemara Shabbos, page 156 on the first side. And what you discover is a different omen for every day of the week. What that means is a guy is born on Sunday, what message should he, should he be aware of? If you're born on Monday, what should you know? If you're born on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, every day there's something else for each person. And let's get a little involved in this Gemara and this Talmud and find out, and I'm sure everybody here is already checking um, what day of the week were you born on. I know I was born on a Monday, so um, you're about to find out what kind of blessing that is for a person. Um, but uh, if, you, if you know what day of the week you're born on, let, let us know and we can we can assess you and your lifestyle and a little more so let's start um alan can you read for us please source one certainly okay i was
2: born on a thursday by the way
0: okay you've got the virtue
2: <laughs> it was written in rabbi Yehoshua ben levy's notebook one who was born on the first day of the week sunday will be a person and there will not be one one in him one in him what is the meaning of the phrase there will not be one in him that one born on a sunday is either completely for the best or completely for the worst what is the reason for this it is because both light and darkness were created on the first day of creation
0: just an interruption given that light and darkness is created on the same day so you can see it's either white or black it's either light or dark it's not it's it's just binary There isn't three options. There isn't grayscale, somewhere in between. And that's why the guy is either completely good or completely the opposite of good. It's binary. Okay, continue, please. One who
2: is born on the second day of the week, Monday, will be a short-tempered person. What is the reason for this? It is because on that day, the second day of creation, the upper and lower waters were divided. Therefore, it is a day of contentiousness. One who was born on the third day of the week will be rich. What is the reason for this? It is because on that day, the third day, vegetation was created, which grows abundantly. What day is that? Is that uh, Tuesday? Tuesday. One who was born on the fourth day of the week will be a wise and enlightened person. What is the reason for this? It is because the heavenly lights were hung in the heavens on that day And wisdom is likened to light.
0: Can anyone suggest what the heavenly lights might be? Stars? Stars, sun. Sun and moon, yeah. Moon, all of those things that, that are light. Yeah.
2: One who is born on the fifth day of the week will be a person who performs acts of kindness. What is the reason for this? is because on that day, the fish and fowl were created and they do not receive their sustenance by performing work for people. They are sustained by the kindness of God alone.
0: Alan, you know your mission.
2: Being kind. One who is born the sixth day of the week will be a seeker. Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak said that this means that he will be one who seeks out mitzvot, as most of the activity on Friday involves preparation for Shabbat.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: one who was born on Shabbat will be called a person of great sanctity because he was born on the sacred day of Shabbat.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you, Alan. So we have every day of the week another virtue, one for Sunday all the way through Shabbos, another virtue, another um, indication of what will be with that person and how it will affect their life. So that's pretty cool. Let's move straight into the Sicha and see some of the conversation that the Rebbe will initiate on this. And so let's ask, Mal, do you have the document in front of you?
1: Yes, I do. Okay, off you go. Meaning of the days. Meaning of the days. There is a discussion in the Talmud at the conclusion of the uh, Tractate Sabbath in which it is explained that every day of the week has within it a special connection to the behavior of a person born on that day. Regarding Thursday, it states one who is born on the fifth day of the week will be a person who performs acts of kindness. What is the reason for this? It is because on that day, the fish and the fowl were created. Rashi explains the connection. Because the fish and the fowl do not have to work for their food, but are supplied by Hashem, kindness. To explain, Hasidic teachings explain that the sixth day of creation are repeated uh, every week. This is the reason we say our daily prayer. Hayom Yom Rishon B'Shabbat. Today is the first day of the week, even though from creation of the world until today there have passed thousands and myriad of days. This is because there are the days of the week cycle which are repeated again, so every Sunday is really the first day, like the first day of creation. And since every day of the week is a repetition of the day during the week uh, during the days of creation, it is clear that the unique character of each of these days has an effect on the character and personality of the person born on that particular day. Hashem's kindness, because. Hashem's kindness is emphasized on Thursday when fish and fowl who live by uh, Hashem's kindness were created. A person born on that day will be one who performs acts of kindness and good deeds. In other words, even without this statement, every Jew is obligated to do acts of kindness. Our sages taught regarding the commandment to cleave uh, to Hashem that just as Hashem does acts of kindness, you do acts of kindness. Furthermore, acts of kindness are considered one of the fundamental traits of the Jewish people. They are compassionate, bashful, and do acts of kindness. Yet in addition, there is a special emphasis regarding someone born on a Thursday. He will personify kindness. To increase in good deed, What lesson on a practical level? What is the lesson on a practical level? The person should increase in his individual performance of acts of kindness, both in literal sense and also in spiritual sense, though influencing others and spreading Torah and mitzvah observance. And this all in a manner of that supersedes all limitations, similar to the kindness displayed on the fifth day of creation. The kindness of Hashem Himself. Okay,
0: awesome. So thank you. Ah, thank you, Mal. So since the universe has is being recreated, regenerated every every day and every week, as so we are recreating this weekly structure. And as such, each day of the week has its unique um, virtues. Th- with which God created that day all so many years ago so consequently we should be acting upon the theme of each day of the week so when we started this conversation it sounded like to, that it sounded like this is unique for someone who is born on this day but now what we can do is we can see how this works for anybody to play with, for anybody to be a part of. So let's take a look. For example, Shabbos. Shabbos is a day that Hashem rests from creation. And as such, it's an appropriate day for us to rest from our own acts of creation and to focus our time on key- connecting with Hashem in, in, in prayer and in Torah study, etc. And, and um, other things, you know, Tuesdays are a good time to intensify business activities because it's a, a fitting day for financial success. And Wednesday, Wednesday is a good day for Torah study. and Monday is the day that one should avoid a dispute with colleagues and friends. So in our conversation today, we're gonna to see how the rabbi focuses specifically on Thursday, how on Thursday, we're encouraged to be extra kind. And on Thursday, it's appropriate to do specific acts of kindness because that's the theme of the day of Hashem providing for all of the different animals. So that's that's part one. Questions or comments or tomatoes? Alan is just happy to be born on Thursday on a good day of the week. He's fine okay awesome so let's move straight into section two which is um and you know kind of introducing to avoid an evil lie and i ask you this question um does judaism give so much attention to um you know things that seem a little like happenstance like oh you're born on monday so you might end up being a, a fighting kind of person or you're born on you're born on some something else and so you might uh you know you might need some other kind of, you're born on Thursday, so you might be extra generous. Like is that is? uh, do we actually give strength to this? So let's take a look at verses from our Parsha in which we can find this lesson. So we've asked um, Alan and Mal, let's ask Reb Shmuel, will you please read for us? Source number two, um, in which we find how in this week's Parsha, Jacob gathers all of his children in front of him and he blesses each one of his 12 children and he gives them an appropriate blessing for their tribe and for their dynasty to to grow. And we're going to focus on the special blessing given to Joseph. So
3: Shmuel, take it away. Joseph is a fruitful son, like a fruitful vine by the fountain. With branches running over the wall, Rashi, the rabbis interpreted it to mean that no evil eye should influence his descendants. Continue. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, okay. All right. So here
0: it is. What is an evil eye, and do we sanction this in Jewish tradition? So the truth is that there are many Jewish customs that are instituted to avoid the evil eye. What's an example? We do not call, when you're dividing out the aliyahs to the Torah, we avoid giving two aliyahs to immediate relatives, one after the other. So you would not call a father and son or a brother, or two brothers to the Torah, one after the other. Why? We don't want to trigger the evil eye in celebrating this unique um, family, that has you know two two sons or a father and son that are able to get aliyahs. And t- um, tangentially, I will tell you that um when um in the in the height of the Corona pandemic, when people were stuck at home, in the um in the highly in the highly in the dense Jewish communities in New York and elsewhere, where people were able to create a minion from their porch. They could have a minion with, you know, two people on one porch, another three people on another porch, etc., all around all around the block. Um, the the rabbis at the time, I remember reading an article from a rabbi who said that they would allow allow for the same person to get all seven aliyahs, or certainly to allow entire family to, to just rotate all of the te- all of the seven aliyahs so as not to um, not to uh, require anyone to get into a um, unhealthy situation of coming too close in contact, etc. But also, um, the relevance here is that they they disregarded the um, the the evil eye possibility. Okay, that was a ta- that was a, a, a tangent. Another custom that we do to to ward off the evil eye is at a wedding during the chuppah, we do something um, violent. We break something, right? The the groom steps onto a glass cup and everyone shouts Mazel Tov and we celebrate. And we, you know, everyone says it's to remember the destruction of the temple. At the same time, there is yet another answer. There is yet another explanation. This one is brought in a book called the Tameh Hagim, the reasons for all customs. And they write over there that if something is destined to not go smoothly at a wedding, we want to get rid of that not smooth energy. We want to get rid of it immediately by breaking the glass at the chuppah and that allows for everything else to go peacefully. Okay, and now. Another idea, another Torah idea where we see a evil eye. And this one is in the Torah itself. In the book of Genesis, Beratius, in chapter 42, verse 5 and on, tells us how when Joseph's brothers came down to Egypt and they wanted to buy food for the famine, so it was said... um, The sons of Israel arrived among the arrivals to get sustenance. And everyone wants to know why they go among the arrivals. And Rashi tells us that their father had ordered them not to appear together when crossing the border because they were all handsome and strong. Rather, each one should enter Egypt through a separate crossing. That way, the evil eye would not influence them. And this was in order to avoid people looking at them and talking about them, etc. So they said each person go separately in your own in through a different entrance. Um,
1: um, yep. Uh, just, uh, I hate to ask this question, but can you define the e- what, what is evil eye? So that's like
0: exactly the topic that we're trying to work out. What is this evil eye? And like, why are we anxious about it? And, and you know, um, and where are we going with it? So Mal, you're on on target. Um, what is the evil eye? It's kind of it's it's nearly. I'm not going to say it's a superstition, but it's it's nearly a superstition. It's it's this kind of awareness that that if I make too much of a celebration about my stuff, then someone is going to get jealous, and there's going to be a bad bad energy around me, and it's going to cause negativity to me. That's you know the general idea. Of the evil eye, and as as we continue our class tonight, we'll we'll get some more definition to it, as well as some good uh, some practical takeaways on what to do with your evil eyes, or on how to avoid it. Okay, that's all coming up in a moment. Another another idea about the evil eye is um, that there was a fellow Rabbi Yehuda Lawi, He lived in fifth between fifteen twenty five and not and sixteen oh nine. So that's, uh, whatever, a couple minutes ago, six 500 and something years ago. Um, he was known as the Maharal, and he served in the Middle Ages as the chief rabbi of Prague. And he explains what's the evil eye. The evil eye is a natural destructive force created by a person's jealousy. Fascinating. So someone's jealousy about something can create an evil eye, and let's get a little more involved in this, if if you can imagine um, a parent gives to their child, um, you know, an extra candy or an extra gift. And he tells to the child, look, I don't want anyone to be jealous. Don't tell your siblings that you got this gift. What does the child do? Immediately goes and tells, everyone look what dad gave me look what mom gave me i'm the one with the extra piece of ice cream i'm the one with the extra piece of candy i'm the guy with the extra toy whatever it is and what happens the siblings all chuck a tantrum hey it's not fair we want to come he got how come i didn't get ta-da-da and so you know what the dad does the father says i'm gonna have to take it back um so you know, the parent might say, since you didn't enjoy, since you didn't know how to enjoy without hurting anyone else, I'm going to have to take this thing away from you. So perhaps that's what an evil eye is. When Hashem gives a person an extra blessing, my job with this extra blessing is to enjoy the blessing, but not to make other people feel bad about not having that, that extra blessing. And, you know, if, if someone does feel jealous about it, that jealousy goes up to the heavenly throne. And when, when we're not using the gift and we're creating, um, you know, bad vibes with the gift, then sometimes God might say, we need to remove this from the person who's got it. And it's that notion which we're going to call the evil eye. That when you've got something, someone else might look at you and wish for it and that creates bad energy let's jump into the next piece over here which is the Rebbe's commentary on fish don't experience the evil eye so let's go back to the beginning let's ask Alan can you read please a further point
2: yes regarding the virtue of Thursday Talmud states in the fifth day of the week the blessing for fish was given the blessing to be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters although the blessing of be fruitful and multiplied was also given to the human being on the sixth day, and that blessing is loftier than the blessing to the fish, as the Talmud there indeed states, nevertheless, in one respect, fish do have an advantage. Our sages on the verse, let them multiply like fish in the midst of the earth, state, fish in the sea are covered by water and the evil eye has no power over them. Thus the blessing given to a fish as a unique feature as our sages have said a blessing is found only in something upon which the evil eye has no dominion something covered from view
0: okay that's cool so we've got a piece of gemara we've got a we have a a sicha from the rebbe which the rebbe is quoting um different commentaries from the sages all of them seem to be the um the from different areas in the talmud can someone tell us which page in the student handbook we are using eight page eight thank you Reb shmuel so um what one of the things that we've discovered is that fish do not have the evil eye and why is this because they are covered by the ocean did you have you ever heard that the jewish people are compared to fish if you have heard that um it's, it's one of the reasons is connected to this. Um, that we just like the Jewish people don't have the evil eye. That's how we connect it to the fish. That the fish don't have an evil eye and the Jewish people don't have the evil eye too. Okay, that is a suggestion there. But let's take a look at source 3 in Tractate Prachot 20a. And let's ask Mal, can you read for us this, this two-paragraph piece of
1: Talmud? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> The sages asked Rabbi Yohanan, Master, do you not fear the evil eye? He answered, I am a descendant of Joseph, over whom the evil eye has no dominion. As it is written, Joseph is f- a fruitful son, like the fruitful vine of the fountain, with branches running all over the wall. Alei a- 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 ayin. Ayin can mean both spring and eye, And Rabbi Ab- Abuah Abohu, uh, said a homiletic uh, interpretation: Do not read it, alai. Iin rather, oyin. Above the eye, they transcend the influence of the evil eye.
0: Okay, awesome. Just a moment before you continue, using those Hebrew words, if you if you can, I'm just trying to find in the in the Hebrew text. Um, in my text, it's one, two, three, four, five, six into the Hebrew paragraph um, parallel to the English that Mal just read. It says, Bain Poiras Yosef, Bain Poiras Ale Oyen. And it translates, Joseph is a fruitful son, like a fruitful vine by the mountain with branches running over the wall. Which word means branches running over the wall? It's Ale Ayin. Ayin can mean spring and ice, so spring would be the, um, the branches are running over the thing, it's the, uh, these ones are are going that far. So Rabbi Abau says, and here's the the big, it's the trick on the word, he says, instead of reading the same, the Hebrew letter, Ayin Lamed Yudah's Ale, you can read it as Ole, it's just changing the one um, pronunciation of one letter, if you read it instead of Ale, which is the springs, read it as Ole, which means above, and it's above what? Above eye and above the eye, the Jewish people are above the evil eye. That is a homiletic interpretation. Um, Mal, please read for us the second paragraph, Rabbi Yosi.
1: Rabbi Yosi, son of Rabbi Chaneah. Uh, ha- cited proof from Jacob's blessings of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and uh, Menashe. The angel who redeemed me from all evil shall bless the young. And in them may my name be recalled in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they multiply in the midst of the earth, Genesis forty-eight sixteen. Vayad gu, can mean multiply, and it could also mean fish. Just as the fish in the sea, water covers them, and the evil eye has no dominion over them. So too, the seeds of Joseph, the evil eye, has no dominion over them. I apologize for my pronunciation.
0: Well, Mal, your pronunciation was pretty good. So the second paragraph is a, a, a lesson. Rabbi Yossi ben Rabbi Khanina. T- teaches the uh, fol- the following lesson. He says, which is a verse from um, from our parsha, and it's one of the blessings to the family of to the families of Joseph. And what does "v'yidgu" mean? So one meaning can be that they are like fish, and another meaning another meaning is that they will become multiplied. And so this this Rabbi Yosi, the son of Rabbi Hanina teaches from this verse that just as the fish in the sea the water covers them and the evil eye has no dominion over them so also the seed of joseph the evil eye will not have any dominion over them so now the talmud tells us elsewhere that as a general rule whoever worries about an eye in horror an evil eye becomes subjected to an evil eye however someone who does not whoever does not worry about it does not become subjected to it altogether. You want to know that where that is? Don't worry, I'll tell you. Pesachim, the cha- the book talking about the, ho- the holiday of Passover, page 110, side two. So in other words, someone who doesn't worry about an iron horror all day, nothing to worry about. It won't hurt him. And the Rebbe once wrote to somebody in a letter. The Rebbe has over 32, has 32 published volu- published volumes of his letters in original Hebrew and there are many more in different languages as well and in, one, in volume 13 on page 92 the Rebbe has a letter which says regarding the person you mentioned that, he, that person is afraid of an evil eye it is known that when one stops caring and does not pay heed at all to his fears the evil eye is nullified and I think in a way that tells you that a person can create the evil eye that they're afraid of a person can create that energy on their own. Okay, but in conclusion, the Rebbe says that the blessing to fish, to be fruitful and multiply, which was given on the fifth day, has an advantage over the blessings to be fruitful and multiply, which was given to the human being, because this blessing is not subject to the evil eye. So th- so now you've been wondering all day why Thursday has this extra focus more than any other day for a person's best blessings, and the answer is because the connection to fish on Thursday removes any can any uh, relationship of the evil eye to the that to the, f- to that day, and so hence, someone who's born on a Thursday, someone who is associating himself with a Thursday or making the most of his Thursday, has less fear of an evil eye because it's already um not connected by virtue of the fish thing so let's take a look at section c and here we are free from the evil eye and um and as an introduction you know there there can be um people who are in leadership positions anywhere and they're always concerned about the feedback that they might get if a person in leadership and they're afraid, hey, maybe someone's going to say something not nice, maybe people are going to give me a hard time about it, maybe there's going to be oppression and suffering because of my public involvement. And so, someone once wrote to the Rebbe and asked the Rebbe, should I go low profile in my public efforts so as to avoid the evil eye and public opinion? And now we will see one of the Rebbe's responses to this topic so Rebbe Shmuel please read for us the Rebbe don't fear the evil eye and this is on page number nine page number nine thank you
3: don't fear the evil eye the above explanation has special relevance to our generation because the previous Rebbe's name was Yosef and the body i.e the people of the generation follows the head in practical terms when we demand that one perform his divine service, giving charity, spreading Judaism, or the like, in a manner that transcends all limits, one need not fear the evil eye, i.e., fear what others will think. In other words, in the words of the verse, why should you fear? I am a descendant of Joseph over whom the evil eye has no dominion. When, therefore, a Jew spreads Judaism in his role as the seed of Joseph, his results will multiply like fish in the midst of the earth, With supernatural success. The fact that he is in the midst of the earth, a place where God is concealed, won't have any adverse effect and weaken his godly service, God forbid, but to the contrary. His work in a place of darkness will propel him to success in far greater measures, in ways that would not be possible otherwise. As our sages said, it will be like the power of light which emerges from within darkness. In the words of the Torah, as they oppressed them, so they proliferated and spread.
0: Thank you, Reb Shmuel. Um, Did you notice how the Rebbe is focusing on the name of the previous Rebbe? His name was Joseph. So every person who does a good thing, who does efforts in public effort, as and holding themselves as an emissary of that Joseph, which is the previous Rebbe, Rebbe, our Rebbe is teaching us that he is transcending the evil eye in that inherent connection between Joseph. And um, and the not having any evil eyes, and um, just as an absolute parenthetical comment, we have a Joseph amongst us, a friend from Australia is on the class, and his name is Joe, and Joe's Hebrew name is Yosef, and so he is uh, ahead of all evil eyes, and so here's the big question, Joe, do you want to read a piece of the Sikha for us in English?
4: Um, where do we begin?
0: Um, we're doing, we find a fascinating concept and you can read for us two paragraphs.
4: Um, the Lavian the smallest tribe, is that the one? Page 10?
0: Um, yes. Yep.
4: Okay. We find a fascinating concept with regard to the tribe of Levi, which was smallest in population compared to the other tribes. It seems very puzzling at the first glance. The tribe of Levi was chosen to stand before Hashem to serve him. And Hashem says about them, I am, quote, I'm your portion and your inheritance, unquote. Um, Hashem is my allotted portion and my share. And if so, why is Levi the smallest in population? How can those serving him and his pious ones not be blessed by Hashem as the rest of the people. One of the explanations when Jewish people were subjugated in Egypt, um, Hashem blessed them that, quote, as they oppressed them, so they proliferated and spread, unquote. Therefore, the tribe of Levi, who were not subjected to slave labor, did not merit this blessing and thus, they multiplied only, that's the right pronunciation, um, naturally. <clears throat> this gives us a glimpse into the power of the blessing that as they oppressed them, so they proliferated and spread.
0: Okay, awesome, thank you. So the tribe of Levi didn't suffer under the Egyptian slavery as the other nations did. They, were, they got out of the slave labor in a unique way. And so therefore, they didn't receive the God's blessing special to them that they should be fruitful and multiply in the same measure as everybody else. Um, It's interesting to note, by the way, that until today it is is quite a practical phenomenon that if you go out into any synagogue all over the world, you will find a deficit of Levites. It's always harder to find a Levite than it is to find anybody else. In fact, it is easier to find a Kohain than it is to find a Levite. And this is a a phenomenon which may trace itself this far back but definitely traces itself all the way back to the times of Ezra. Okay, but at the same time there is another thing to go to here and that is that um, the Rebbe learns from here that the difficulties that, um, that the Chabad movement underwent in Soviet Russia explains the phenomenal success and blessings that it experienced when doing its work and the same thing Anyone who's doing public effort now in the efforts of spreading Torah and and Judaism um, is going to experience the same thing. When there is stress, when there is pressure, when there is pushback, there will be blessings in return. And so, um, in keeping with the rotation, let's ask Mao. Can you read for us one, two, three paragraphs till the end?
1: Now, in our case, since the seed of Joseph, beginning with Joseph himself, the previous Rebbe underwent ima- unimaginable oppression. The idea of as they oppress them, so they proliferated and spread certainly applies. They shall multiply like fish, both in the mater- material matter and certainly in the dissemination of Judaism and Hasidim. The lesson in practical terms, disregards all obstacles and and scuffing remarks. Those will not be able to disrupt your work. And to the contrary, it will bring you to a point where they proliferated and spread. We have no doubt fulfilled our obligation of oppression merely by speaking of the matter. It is explained in several sources regarding the Egyptian enslavement that in lieu of the backbreaking labor of mortar and bricks. In the literal sense, we could fulfill, we could fulfill our obligation with the toil and labor of Torah study. That should suffice to express the concept of as they oppress them and the outcome will be. So they proliferated and spread. It began with Torah study in its most perfect form and being that study is great. It leads to action. It is obvious that the matter of so they proliferated and spread will continue and be effective on a practical level as well. And the most literal sense to bring blessing in matters of children, health, and plentiful sustenance, the blessing of plenty in all matters, both on a spiritual level and most importantly on a material one.
0: Thank you, Mal. And this concludes the, the, the comments that we're going to read today. But it doesn't really, conc- it, it, it also concludes our greater conversation. We started with covering the different days of the week and the omens that the the Talmud tells us about for those days of the week if you're born on this day what does that tell you about your lifestyle versus that day what is it going to tell you about the future of your life right and we went through that and we immediately jumped into taking a look at Joseph Joseph um, Joseph's blessings were that they would be great like like the fish and and then the connection that fish don't have an evil eye and there's so many fish there's so many millions and billions of fish that are unaccountable and it's and and perhaps because there is no limit on the energy provided to the fish and so that take teaches us this lesson that the fish don't have the evil eye and so too the Jewish people compared to the fish don't have an evil eye and so if you're wondering what can what do I need to do to get rid of an evil eye all you need to do is totally ignore it totally not give it credence do not recognize um, at all, this uh, this uh, this perhaps awareness. And if you're not if you're not taking it into consideration, it will not affect you. Better yet, when when you find that there is oppression, when you find that there is pushback, it just means that the results of your next step are going to have a greater influence. Like they say, bad publicity, uh, any pub uh, bad publicity is good publicity. Is that what they say?
1: Yes. Any, Any publicity. Any publicity, publicity
0: is good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Any publicity is good publicity. Okay. So tell that to the guy that gets uh, totally bashmutzed in the local <laughs> paper, but nevertheless, um, you know. Oh, they don't, they're not writing about him because he did nothing. Yeah, they're writing about him because he's achieved. He's done something and people are either pro or anti, but they're totally involved in so-and-so's story. And that's the notion of if there is oppression, if there is pushback, if there is hardship, then there is definitely something happening which is worth being a part of in one way or another.
1: Two questions, uh, Rabbi. Go for it. Okay, number one, um... Is there any relation between the evil eye and the Kabbalah? And number two is going into what we read, where it talks about um, giving charity, spreading Judaism or the like. Um, What is the words spreading Judaism refer to here? And that I thought we are not out to expose people to convert to Judaism. Um, We're not we're not out to change people. In that respect, does that mean just expose them to what to the good, the light that we uh, basically bring, or is there another interpretation of this?
0: Okay, Mal. The second question is definitely easier than the first, um, but to answer the first first, um, we we went, we have gone through most of the basic sources with regards to. Um, evil eye. We've got a Talmud. We have we have two Talmuds. One that says that um, that um, that every day of the week has a different message in it, a different omen in it. And then we've got another Talmud which says um, that the Jewish people are totally not uh, subjected to um, the evil eye. And I quoted um, outside. We didn't read it inside. A piece from a Gemara in Pesachim which I'm just trying to find now, which also also kind of said, here it is, that the general will is whoever worries about an iron horror is subjected to it. Whoever does not worry is not subjected to it. And so here I think we've got the full gamut of on the iron horror thing and it ends with, if you don't give it attention, it won't come and bite you. That's what it seems to be. Moving into question two of what does it mean to spread judaism so yes you're right we are not looking for converts in fact in jewish law making um achieving conversion is quite difficult and today nowadays for a person to convert takes them you know three or four years of intense study and gradual change in their behavior a person must completely change their behavior apart it's you can't convert and not keep shabbos or not keep kosher because if a person is converting, they're saying, I would like to be a part of this of, of this um, godly experience. And in order to do that properly, one needs to show that they are devoted to it. So then, what does it mean to spread Judaism? It means that there are many Jewish people out there in the world who are um, assimilated, who are disconnected, who have left behind the traditions of the Torah and the mitzvahs, the traditions that we've hold, held on to for so long. And so, the, the the mission of spreading Judaism is let us individually find people who are estranged and allow them to engage. And for that, there's always going to be a little bit of oppression, a little bit of pushback, and that's what we're saying when you're, when you're on the mission, when you're on the holy mission of encouraging your fellow Jew to engage with their Judaism, then you don't have to worry about the, the evil eye, you don't have to worry about the public impression. Keep on going, persevere, and you will blossom and succeed.
1: Thank you very much. You are welcome.